Welcome Parkview, glad to have you here. All of our campuses, online, however you're doing this, we're really, really glad to have you here. Let me just start this way, okay? Today I feel a little bit what I think it must be like to be a golf instructor, all right? If you're, if you're a golf instructor, there's like one dumb thing over and over again that people do, okay? Anybody know what that is? Just, you lift your head up, okay? You're golfers, right? Like the dumbest thing, the number one mistake everybody makes, because it's hard to hit the ball, you know, if you're up looking around, okay? It's, it's like teaching somebody to water ski. I, I, I taught some of my family to water ski, okay? There's one basic rule. There's a lot of different ways that you could do it. You, you, could, you can do the rocking chair. You can dig in your heels. Everybody's got different advice on how to learn to water ski. But there's one thing you can't do. You can't bend your arms. They have to stay straight, okay? This is just my hint to you if you ever learn to water ski. You've got to keep your arms straight because what happens is people start to get up, and then they think, oh, I've almost got it, so I'm going to pull myself up. And then you get up, and then you put your arms back out, and they're slacking the rope, and you're down, okay? You drive the boat around, and you go, you know what happened? You bent your arms, right? You didn't keep your arms straight. I've been playing golf for 45 years. I still, every once in a while, pick, you know, why did I top the ball? Because I picked my head up. There's one basic thing you got to do if you're going to golf, if you're going to ski. There's one basic thing that you need to understand if you are a homo, homo sapien, okay? One basic thing if you are a human being. And that is one basic problem that we keep coming back to over and over again, and that problem is thinking that one group of us is better than another group of us, okay? Lumping people into categories, it's the most basic mistake. It's something that we do over and over and over again. Wars are fought because one group of humans thinks that they're better than another group of humans. Now, there are good people and there are bad people, but you can't lump people into categories, Christian or not. This is what the Declaration of Independence said, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident. <laughs> like, it ought to be really obvious to you as a human being, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, it's the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. It's okay if you don't like that, but you're going to have to go to another country because this is what we were founded on. It's a basic principle of humanity. Don't lift your head up, you're not going to hit the ball. Don't bend your arms, you're not going to get up skiing. Don't think that one group of, of human beings has more rights than another group of human beings. And here's the problem. Since the Charlottesville terror attack last week, it seems as though we still aren't really clear on this. And I never talk about politics in church. I don't really believe the church should be involved in politics. But the problem is that many people believe, rightly or wrongly, they believe that because Christians voted more strongly for Trump in the election, that we put Trump in office. And so the world is looking at the picture like this. This is my interpretation. Trump is not making a strong enough stand against racism. So if evangelical Christians voted for Trump, then that makes evangelical Christians racist. So here's where I need to make my views as plain as possible, and this church's views as plain as possible. I was invited to meet with Donald Trump before the election with a small group of evangelical leaders. I decided not to go. I didn't want to be associated with politics. I would not have met with Hillary Clinton either, okay? I said very little about the election while it was happening because, quite frankly, I didn't think either one of them are really representing a biblical view of running the country. 
And I do not want Parkview or myself to be thrown into a category any more than you want to be thrown into a category as a cat lover or a light beer drinker or a Cub fan. You you don't want to be categorized, okay? Am I right? So, so, so stop doing that. We are a completely independent church. No one tells us how to vote or what to think. And the only reason that our church gets thrown into the category of evangelical is because somebody decided there's only three categories of churches. You can either be a Catholic church, which we're not, a mainline, a mainline church, a denominational church, which we're not, or everybody else is like thrown into this pile of evangelical. All right? Now, but I, I just wish that everybody could leave us out of categories because the problem is when you do categories and you only have two or three or whatever then everybody gets lumped into a category and it's not true if your only option is taste great or less filling right you're, you're gonna end up yelling at each other at some point right what if I think that it's tastes great and it's less filling what if I think it tastes bad and it's filling and I don't want to drink how does that work Okay, that's the problem with lumping into categories. Parkview is non-denominational, and please call us non-categorical also when you add a tagline to what kind of a church is Parkview. Even so, let me go back. All Christians are against racism. A Christian racist is an oxymoron. Emphasis on the moron. We are all created in God's image. We are male, female, we're black, white, we're Democrat, we're Republican, we're Cubs, Sox. It it doesn't matter. And if you think I'm making this up, the Bible says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everybody say that. One in Christ Jesus. One more time. One in Christ Jesus. Okay? Keep your head down if you're golfing. Keep your arms straight if you're skiing. Christianity. What's the greatest commandment? They asked Jesus. Love God, he said, and love your neighbor. It's not one, it's two. It's all about love, and there's two parts to it. Love God and love your neighbor. Your neighbor. Well, somebody asked, well, who's my neighbor? This is all in the Bible. I don't think the accent was quite like that. Who's my neighbor? Jesus. Okay. And Jesus said, oh, let me tell you a story. And he tells a story to explain himself about a man from one racial background who went out of his way to help someone from another racial background, even though there was huge racial tension between these two groups of people. It's the story you may know as the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other. They were tearing down statues of each other's people everywhere they went. They didn't like each other. Okay? And if you were God, how would you feel if you sent your son to die for all of the children of all your children of the world, and yet some of your children thought that they were more deserving than others of your children? It just, it's, it, it just doesn't work, guys. So at part few, we believe that God can forgive any sin, and I want to help you, and we want to help you because we're all sinners and we all struggle with sin. But 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 if you're gonna try to bring your sin into the body, we're going to stop you. If you struggle with alcoholism, we love you. God forgives you. We've got a lot of people here that struggle with alcoholism. But if you show up drunk, we're going to 
call you a cab and send you home, okay? If you struggle with racism, we love you and God forgives you. But if you think that we're just going to pass over that and excuse it, you are mistaken. If you want to believe that one group of people is better or worse than another group of people or more deserving of rights than another group of people, I'm just saying to you, you might be more comfortable in another church. Okay? I don't have a list of racist churches on me right now. <laughs> there used to be one in Topeka, Kansas. I'm not sure that one's still around anymore. But, but listen... If, here's, what, here's what else I want to say. If you are a non-white person listening to me, any of our campuses, uh, online, wh- wherever, okay, I am sorry. I, I am so sorry. And I have your back. I just want you to know that. As a matter of fact, I'm... Getting on a plane, Bill Brown and I are going to get on a plane. Rick Warren uh, out in Saddleback has called together a group of evangelical leaders from all races to come together and prepare a statement on Charlottesville and racism. And boy, I didn't have time to go do this, but I'm jumping on a plane, sitting in a middle seat for four hours this afternoon to fly out to California to sit down and help draft a document that will maybe help the world see what Christianity ought to look like. And I would appreciate your prayers as we do this. Okay. I, I love you white people too, okay, don't, you know. <laughs> I just have to make sure the basic idea of humanity is there, okay? And, and it, this is how I learned it in Sunday school. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. You know that song? I mean, I know that's not politically correct anymore, you know, um, but it's hard to sing Native American, Asian American, African American, and Caucasian. <laughs> they are precious in his sight. You get the point, right? So I'm going to come back at the end, and we're going to pray about this all together, and, uh, and, 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 and hopefully you will be in prayer about this issue, because, boy, I sure didn't think I was going to be talking about it again this week after last week, but it just doesn't seem like it'll go away. So uh, let's lighten things up a little bit, all right? George Washington, Robert E. Lee, and Donald Trump walk into a bar. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't really have a joke. I just thought... I just thought my elders might mess their pants if I started that way. Here we go. Let's do a sermon. How, how, how do you grow in your faith? Okay, what we're, what we're going for in this Rooted series is we're trying to help you to understand what, what it would look like, what it, how, how you could be at a point where like later on in life you're, you're more faith-filled than you are right now. Okay? And you see people that are like that. Bad things happen, and they're so full of faith, even though their life is not going very well. And you're just like, that's amazing. Do you even understand how bad your life is right now? Because I can't even understand how you could be so peaceful with God. And, and, and that's, that's about being rooted. Okay, And there are five things, Andy Stanley said there are five things, five catalysts that God uses to help us grow our faith. And four of them are things that we partner with. Providential relationships, that's how we get together. We, we, we're, we're in relationship with each other. Pastor Todd talked about that. Personal ministry, as we serve, we are going to grow in our faith. Practical teaching, we'll talk about that today. Private disciplines, I'll talk about that next week. Pivotal circumstances, you don't really usually have the choice over pivotal circumstances. That's the one where sometimes we just have to grow through the stuff that's going on, and we'll talk about that the last week, okay? Those are the five things that help us. When you look at the early church, what do you see them doing? 
They devoted themselves. You see, they were partnering with the faith. They devoted themselves to what? To apostles' teaching. That's what we're going to talk about today. To fellowship. That's that group dynamic. That's being united together. Breaking of bread and prayer. That's those disciplines. They devoted themselves to that. So today, let's talk about practical teaching. How do you devote yourself to practical teaching, to the apostles' teaching? And I need to explain part for you a little bit to some of you because you're new. I mean, uh, I, I, many churches have ignored the practical part of practical teaching of the Bible. And you come in here and you're like, well, this church is different. Is it different in the, in the stuff that they teach or is it different in the method that they use to teach? And I want to tell you that for the most part, it's the latter. It won't really matter what kind of a background you came from. If you really understood the Bible, you're probably going to understand it pretty closely to the way that it's taught here. It's in the explanation and practicality of it that we differ, okay? Any of you have a spouse that does not understand the art of the remote control? Could you just put your hand up, okay? I know that one. Anybody, okay? Are there, let me just keep your hands up. Are there any women who have their hands up right now? I mean, I know sexism is as bad as racism, but, but honestly, it feels to me like, for the most part, guys get remotes better than ladies. Is that a fair statement? Just in general, I'm categorizing, okay? Tastes great, let's feel it. Okay. I, I, everybody I know, like the wife, and, and this is true in my household as well, I finally got a universal remote so that she could figure out how to turn the TV on. I don't know what the problem is, this is my coffee table. How hard is that? Guys are like, yeah, okay, that's receiver, that's Xfinity, that's Apple, okay, that's Amazon. I get, uh, yeah, but, but she can't, she couldn't do it. So one of those is a universal remote. I'm probably just going to go ahead and bite the bullet and get Alexa so that she can say, turn on Netflix, because that would probably solve a whole lot of marital stress. So I got this friend, he tells me this story. This is what I'm thinking about when it comes to practical application of Scripture. Uh, he, he is... He, <laughs> He wrote out all the instructions. I've done this before, too. He wrote out all the instructions for the remote control, and then he went off to work, and it was like her, her maiden voyage, her first solo flight. And she calls him, and she says, forget watching a movie. I can't even get the television to come on. So I asked her what she did. He said, I did exactly what you told me to do. I took the large remote control, I aimed it at the television, and I pressed power, and nothing happened. He said, I thought to myself, large remote control. I had to think about it for a minute, and then it hit me. The brand of our television was LG. <laughs> LG is a brand of electronics, so she read LG and looked for the large remote control and gave it her best shot. That's what happens. There's a lot of stuff in here that if you don't understand, if somebody doesn't help you to understand this, you're going to read LG and you're going to assume large, okay? So, so the first principle in this whole thing is the Bible is not going to do you any good if you don't understand it. Very, very basic principle. Very, very important. Many of you think the difference in teaching is about the teaching itself, but I'm telling you here, it's the method. We want to try to make it easy for you to understand it. Again, all churches should be pretty easily united around the doctrine of all men being created equal. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created him. That's like right back in the very beginning. And hopefully every pastor is addressing racism in some way today. And really all the big stuff you're going to find us in agreement on. But the method is different here because we want you to understand it. 
I know that you didn't grow up with a church like this. I get that, okay? Um, you grew up with priests in robes and incense and rosary prayers. 80% of you grew up that way. You know what? I didn't grow up with a church like this either. I grew up with pastors in suits, and we sang hymns, and we prayed Shakespearean prayers, and I didn't understand it that much better than you understood yours, okay? We sang songs about cherubim and seraphim, right? Holy, holy, holy. It's a beautiful song until you get to that, and you're like, what's a cherubim and a seraphim? Who wert and art and evermore shall be. I'm a kid in grade school. I'm like, I know art. He's sitting over there, but I have no idea who Wirt is or where they evermore should be. I'm confused here. Every church is supposed to help bring people home to God. Most churches just decide they don't really care that much, and we're just going to do it the way we've always done it. So we've decided to be different, and your friends may criticize you for going to the rock and roll church or whatever it is they call us, and here's what I always know. I learned from a great theologian that the player's going to play, 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 and the hater's going to hate, hate, hate. And that's okay. I mean, I just shake it off. That's what I do. And that's what you should do. Okay? This all started for me in, uh, in 1977. I've told this story a lot, so I'll give you the brief version. I'm on my way to high school uh, with four, three other guys in a, in a Mustang. On a, I just remember the car because I was always so jealous I couldn't drive yet. This guy had a Mustang. And, and we were on our way to school, and we're listening to the radio, and Jesus is just all right with me by the Doobie Brothers came on. Now, for those of you who are young don't understand, there was something in the doobies they were smoking that day, and they decided <laughs> to be Jesus people, okay? And it's this really cool song about Jesus, and I'm like, that's such a cool song. And then I promise you, I had a God moment. I had an epiphany. I haven't had a bunch of them in my life. Uh, I had one when I was called to this church. I mean, I've had some at different points along the way, but this was an epiphany. I thought, what if our church or a church or any church actually did music that was like this you know, that, that my friends would want to come to, and they could play this Doobie Brothers song, and then my friends would want to come to church because my friends didn't want to come to church. Now, I was in Oklahoma. Most of us were, you know, grew up kind of forced to go to a church one way or the other. We were in the Bible Belt, but I knew, I knew I had this moment. It was like, if we could just make the Bible translated into, you know, at least the 70s, you know, if not, you know, even farther on as things went, that it would be amazing. And the same was true for Denise. So when we came to this church, we set out to make a church, to create a church that our kids would want to invite their friends to. Okay? And, and we did, and they did. And even though my kids all moved away, many of their friends still go here. And so do yours. Some of them are on our staff. But the method is not to be cool or trendy. It's not about that. It's because you're, you're not gonna, it's not going to do you any good if you don't understand it. Okay? So if you go to a church, if you're not from here, if you're listening to me online, you go to a church where you're not taught practically in a way that you can understand, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to do you any good. Have you done these Chinese lanterns? It's another one of my favorite illustrations on this issue. Okay? These, uh, like, I don't know, sky lanterns, they call them. Um, they're Chinese lanterns. They're made in China. I bought a bunch off of Groupon um, one year. And um, if you buy them from Groupon, a lot of times they ship stuff straight from China. I don't know if you know this or not. So what happens is you've got this little thing here, and you've got a little you know, fireball that you light under here, and it lights it, and it fills up with heat, and it floats off, you know, like a beautiful Disney movie. Okay? Except if you buy one, 
you better just Google how to use it or something because the instructions were in Chinese and then they're translated into English by someone who knew English words but didn't really know how to speak English. Okay, here we go. Should choose at the option open, calm environment, release for flight. No fire ban in areas, the tall building, the floor, and so on. Covers under the thing to release for flight. Must leave outside the airport 10 kilometers from flying. Is that helpful? Wait, wait, are you getting flashbacks to growing up in church? This is kind of weird, isn't it, right now? I think I get the, the airport thing. I'm, I'm starting to figure that out, okay? Kong Ming Light can only be used for distribution of special purpose of fuel, prohibited any burning replace. Kong Ming Light are on the rise, that of flying cannot the long time not put, and the flight not to be append the foreign body. Amen. Is that, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's how a lot of churches are. They're going to get up and they're going to tell you the Bible. The Bible says this, and you're like, okay, I still don't know what the Bible said. We got some of these for the 4th of July. We did them with our family, and we had fun because I figured out how to do it, you know, and nothing got burned down. But, but that really didn't help me. Now, here is the instructions that I got for a bookshelf from Ikea. This is what we're going for, you guys, okay? We're trying to be Ikea Christian Church here, okay? What do you got? Nope, don't do it that way because that might be cracked. Make sure you lay it down on there. Nope, not one person, but two people must be used in the building of the bookshelf, right? Over here, he tells you, oh, you're getting confused? What should you do? You should call Ikea. You see that? Isn't this great? And then it starts to go through. Don't use that screw. Use this screw. There's no words, Okay? They don't speak English, you know, where these things are made in Ikea either. So they just do words and just, just do pictures. And when you get to the end, roll it over. Make sure there are two of you rolling over. Bada boom, you got it. Okay? That's practical teaching. Isn't that beautiful? That's how it ought to be. And the reason that most people in the country grew up with some kind of faith background and then left it is because they grew up in Chinese Lantern Christian Church. And what's so ironic about this is how did Jesus teach? Jesus taught Ikea. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables and in stories. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. He wanted to teach practically. Jesus was the opposite of this. And that's what Jesus taught. The Sermon on the Mount, his biggest sermon, you know, what, you know what it was? It was all practical, simple things that were easy to understand. And it sounded something like this. You know, if you had big faith and somebody slapped you on one cheek, you would turn the other cheek, right? If you had big faith, you'd realize what to do with your treasures. You should lay them up in heaven, not down here where they're going to get stolen or they're going to rust. If you had big faith and your neighbor was a jerk, you wouldn't hate him. You wouldn't even call him a fool. You certainly wouldn't drive your car into the crowd of them. But you should know that. I'm trying to be practical, so I'm going to tell you that even hating your brother in the first place is the same thing as murder. Maybe you ought to come back around to that one. Very practical teaching. And then he gets to the end, and he says something that takes us 
a little deeper. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, okay, check. Now we understand it and puts them into practice. Puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So practical teaching is not just about understanding. It's about doing something with it. The Bible's not going to do you any good unless you understand it. It's also not going to do you any good unless you practice it, unless you actually put it into application. Jesus says, look, there's different places you're going to be in life, but, but, but just going and listening to me speak is not going to do you any good. Well, I heard Jesus speak five weekends in a row. Well, I didn't miss one single speech Jesus gave. Well, what do you think about me, God? Is my life better? No, your life is not better. If you don't do something about it, it's not going to matter. Andy Stanley said, in our American culture, we are victims of this. We rate our spirituality on how often we go to church. I don't miss church. I don't miss mass. I don't miss confession. Maybe life would be better if you did miss it more often. Somehow we think attendance and consistency of attendance is what makes the difference. Jesus says, no, you can come and hear all my speeches, all my sermons. You can write them down and index them and catalog them. But if you don't do any of this stuff, it's not going to make any difference in the world. Because the thing that's going to blow your faith up is not hearing it. It's not even just understanding it. It's doing something with it. I mean, come on, we get that, right? It's one thing to believe in nutrition. It's another thing to eat healthy. It's one thing to believe. I really believe in exercise, okay? But if you don't exercise, it's not going to help you. The Bible's not going to do you any good unless you understand it, and it's not going to do you any good unless you practice it. And it's the words of God is given to us for the reason of helping us live our life. Listen, I appreciate that I don't have to preach to an empty room every weekend. But the newsflash for you is Jesus is not up in heaven going, okay, Frankie showed up, check. Betty showed up, check. Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. Well, hopefully Ferris will show up next week. He's not doing that. And that's the mentality that we've grown up. But Jesus said, no, not hearing is not what makes a difference. It's putting it into practice. That's why one of the best things that you can do for you, your spouse, your kids, whatever, is to be involved in environments. And I don't just mean the weekend, but be involved in environments where the Bible's being taught practically and you can go do something with it. The rain came down and the streams rose. Because this is what's going to happen, you guys. And the wind beat, blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation in the rock. One of the things that we're uh, offering for you and your faith uh, coming up, it starts September 11th, ironically enough, a great time for a new start, is our Rooted Experience. The Rooted Experience is a 10-week experience based on uh, uh, how to help you with your faith. It's a, it's a program, it's, a, it's an experience, 10-week class that came from Africa. I love this. It was started by a church in Kenya. Um, it's not all about us. And uh, came to a church in California that has now helped a lot of churches around the country figure out how to do this. I've gone through it twice myself. Our staff has all been through it. We are ready to lead you. There are over 400 people signed up for it already. Well, what goes on? Week 1, 8, and 10, I'm teaching a large crowd. And then you're meeting together with your groups. Uh, weeks 2 through 7 and week 9, you're with a group. We're going to put you together. Men's groups, women's groups, couples groups, however you want it to be. And you're going to share together. And your leader who's been trained will help lead the discussion and do practical teaching for you. And then you're going to go 
practice it, okay? We're going to talk about disciplines next weekend. You have five lessons a week that you need to do to prepare for Monday night. Five lessons a week. That's going to get you used to doing something in the Word, in the personal disciplines, in prayer. And then you're going to come back together, and you're going to talk about those things together, and you're going to share together. And it's going to change your life. I promise you it's the best faith experience thing I've done in a very, very long time, maybe ever in my life and in our lives as a couple. My daughter was on staff at this church out in California that started it, and she uh, got married and had her honeymoon and then started working at this church, and she didn't know anybody there. And she and her husband jumped into a rooted group. They were just starting a, a series of it, and she, they jumped in, and by the end of 10 weeks, they were so acclimated to the church, they were so close to these friends that literally people who were engaged in that group were adding group members into their wedding parties. Becca and Andy got invited to be in people's weddings. They'd only known each other for 10 weeks, but they knew each other better in 10 weeks than they knew their friends from a lifetime. And they wanted them to be in there together. 10 weeks starts on Monday night, September 11th. It's two and a half hours on Monday night. It's going to cost you 50 bucks because I want it to cost you something so that you stay committed to it. And there's a meal and there's the material. Here's the book that you get along the way that's got the five lessons a week that you're going to go through. It's very simple, practical teaching. And you're going to go through this and you're going to do it together. It's not going to solve all the world's problems, but I tell you, if you need a, a way to jump your faith up to the next level, this is it. And we're going to do it again in January and again in April and, and until we get every one of you through the rooted experience. I want to encourage you to sign up and make it happen. Because, again, the Bible's not going to do you any good unless you understand it, and it's not going to do you any good unless you practice it. Here's what's great about rooted. You learn about service one week because that's one of the ways God grows us, and then you go serve. <laughs> You learn about prayer one week, and then you have a time to pray. I mean, it's really that, that awesome. I have people, you know, ask me from time to time, you know, Tim, how come you, know, how come you don't preach on Revelation more, for example? Why don't you preach on Revelation more? You preach four weeks on money every year, and you rarely teach from Revelation. Why is that? Let me just give you a hint. Don't ever ask me that. Because my response is going to be, well, hang on a second. Let me go check your giving records first, okay? You know, then I want to do a credit check, and I want to see how many credit cards you have. Can I have your Social Security number? Because I just want to see how well this practicality thing is going before I try to explain Revelation to you, which is probably not going to change your life very much. I want to see how you're doing with the stuff that you already know. Tell me how you've loved your neighbor this week. Tell me the last time you turned the other cheek. Where is it that you are serving? Those are the things I'm going to ask you. And listen, I preach on Revelation sometimes, but there's just not very much practical stuff in there. I'm just going to tell you that. But pastor, I really want to know, are those locusts in Revelation, are they maybe helicopters? I mean, could that be what they are? And what about those computer chips that they're starting to put in people's hands now? Is that the mark of the beast? First of all, nobody knows the answer to that. And second of all, what difference does it make? What good is it going to do you if you know the answer? Here's the book of Revelation in two words. Jesus wins. Bam. Drop the mic. So, so quit worrying about the computer chips in your hand maybe being the mark of the beast and start worrying about the 13 computer chips on the average American has 13 credit cards in your wallet. What's in your wallet? Start thinking about that. That's the practical part. 
And you may not always like practical teaching, and I, I'm okay, I get that. Jesus is my example. All the people in the synagogue were furious when he got done with his practical teaching. This is kind of my goal. This is the standard I'm shooting for. They got up, they drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill, which the town was built, to throw him off a cliff. That's what I'm shooting for, okay? You need to be in an environment where somebody is pushing your buttons a little bit when it comes to the Bible. I, 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 wanna, I want you to be at the point where you go home and you're like, I just don't believe that. I'm going to look up in the Bible and see if he's saying that is really true. I, I want to irritate you into Bible reading. That's what I want to do. That'd be so great. Because here's the deal. Many of you tried the tithe back in June and you went online and you signed up and you got going and you're already seeing. Your faith has grown this summer. And your, your, your experience with God is different than it was before. Others of you have put your faith in action, filled out that card. Just, just, just jump in and serve somewhere because that's how you grow. And some of you have done it, and your faith has grown, and you know this, like Oz was saying in the video. And then some of you have heard it, and you didn't do anything with it, and your faith is still the same. And the ground around you is still sandy. Do you not think that the people who call themselves Christians and are also white supremacists, do you not think they've ever heard about loving their neighbor before? Either they didn't understand it, which is possible, or they just chose not to practice it. And by doing that, it's not just affecting them, it's affecting everyone around them. Lane Jones says, Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. doesn't do anybody any good. The value of paint is in the application. Don't, 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 don't take a bucket home with you and then bring it back next week. Let us pry the lid open for you, get you a brush, and then go paint something. Let's be practical. We're going to study the Lord's Prayer um, in the month of September. I mean, Jesus was asked, how, how should we pray? And he gave them a model, not something we're necessarily supposed to repeat, but he gave them a model for prayer. So we're going to talk about that. That seems practical, right? And I thought, you know what? I have a, had a friend that was at a Catholic funeral recently, and he said, we did the Lord's Prayer, and we held hands as we did the Lord's Prayer at this funeral, and I thought it was great. And we steal good ideas from any place we can get them. So would you stand with me right now? And we're going to repeat the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to do the King James Version. I'm going to put it up on the screen so that you know it and you can see it. And I want you to hold hands. Across the aisles, I want you to hold hands. I want everybody in here holding somebody else's hand. Okay? And what I'm hoping is we're breaking down some barriers right here. We're breaking down some walls. Well, maybe that hand's not the same color as your hand when you look down. I guarantee you it's not the same shape. It's not the same design. There are a lot of differences in there. And we are coming together as the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. This is an opportunity for us to get out of our comfort zone and hold somebody's hand and make contact with another human being and declare that we are the body of Christ. And I think somebody just got a date back there also. <laughs> so let's do this. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you. And I thank you for this body. 
I thank you for this place where we can come, we can have some fun, we can have some laughs, we can learn some very, very difficult truths all at the same time, because I feel like that's exactly what the early church felt like, and Lord, I know they struggled in the early church with racism and trying to figure out how to include everybody together. But Lord, we're not going to just let it go. We're not going to just sit back and not do something about it. We are going to declare that we are all the people of God. And we are the people who first and foremost love you. And secondly, we love our neighbors as ourselves. Let that be who Parkview is, what Parkview is known for, Lord. Bless us. It's your name that we pray. Amen.